Episode 55 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Nick Allenby, who is the physical performance coach at Sunderland. Nick came on to talk about the biggest career achievement. He also spoke about the benefits of working in League One and League Two. And then we went into detail on the crisis year at Bolton, what he learned from it and what he is applying in future roles going forward. Very similar to what we spoke about with the lads at Berry in previous episodes. Big thank you to everyone who's either attended, hosted or spoken at one of our 2019 network meetings. We've had nine meetings this year and we're looking to bring you even more next year. Um, if you would like to host or speak at one of the meetings, please get in touch. You can keep up to date with all the news regarding meetings on social media. Our Twitter and Instagram is at footballfitfed and then also there's our website, footballfitfed.com. And it, like I say, if you would like to host or speak at one of the meetings, please get in touch. You can drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. It was great to speak to Nick. Hope you enjoy the episode and let us know what you think. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 55. I'm delighted today to be joined by Nick. How are you? Fine, thank you, Ben. Thanks very much for having me on. No, I appreciate you coming on, mate. Thank you for giving up your time. Do you want to kick us off, mate? Let's dive straight in. Let's go into your background. I've not mentioned your current role yet, so I'll let you do that. So take us through your background and what you're doing currently. Um, so currently I am employed by Sunderland Football Club as physical performance coach. So an, another one of those titles that comes out of nowhere. Um, but uh, uh, my background is I started in 2000 at Middlesbrough Football Club. And um, I started as a sports therapist. So Middlesbrough were looking for a part-time masseur and I was doing uh, had a sports therapy background and managed to get in doing that way. Um from then, I had 10 years at the club and I have a lot lot to thank Middlesbrough for in terms of my own personal development. Um, I basically did it through the medical department right into the sports science department. I did quite a lot of jobs, um, but I was lucky in that Middlesbrough were really forward-thinking in terms of how they developed the backroom staff to support the players. So at the time, they were a Premier League club and they were competing with Premier League teams without as big a budget and they still had some fantastic players and created some fantastic teams. And you know you can't discount the work that Steve Gibson has done there with, um, with, with um, the support he's given the club. But... Um, one of the, the areas that he looked at was developing the sports science and medical team to be as good as it could be to support what was, like I said, so you've got like a provincial club trying to compete in Europe as they did and uh, and such as that. So he thought that, you know, they'd require that level of backing and the players would require that level of backing in terms of the sports science and medical department. So I was really lucky that I, I sort of got an on-the-job learning as I was going along Um 
there was people there like uh, Grant Downey, who I know you've had on the podcast, who came in as head of medical. Uh, he was he was massive for me in terms of um, pushing me along. He recognised a little bit of something in me. I don't know what it was, but uh, helped me develop massively in terms of my practical education, in terms of improving my academic background, such as that. Um, and he created a real... Uh, fantastic working environment for the medical team that was there and that was in conjunction with Chris Barnes who I know is another one of your guests that you've had on who was uh, one of the foreigners I believe in in sports science in football Um, we were doing things back at Middlesbrough that are commonplace now but at at the time were were absolutely cutting edge he was one of the first early adopters and developers really of um, using GPS to monitor training um, and testing and monitoring that that is done like commonplace was was we, we were doing quite a lot of years ago so between the two of them they developed this support system for the players and and within that we had young staff coming through physios myself who worked from sports therapy to like a rehab role that was somewhere in between the medical and sports science department so if we had players with inherent pathology who needed conditioning in a different way or individual conditioning um, I would do that as well as the, the what they were doing with Chris in terms of the strength and conditioning and um, that led me being like I said a sort of hybrid between medical and performance and I eventually moved across to the performance side so a, a lot of that was down to having worked with um, Gareth Southgate as a player and when he became manager basically said the stuff that you're doing I want to do with everybody and moved us across to that so my undergrad was in applied sports therapy my me, me postgrads in um, so MSc in uh, exercise physiology really so um, that was that was my start um, I came to a period where uh, I sort of got an offer to continue doing what I was doing uh, had been doing with um players privately so I had a year out of football and um, like I said I had six to seven players who I would look after them on whether it was um, reconditioning rehabilitation um, or just performance they felt that that, um, I could offer them something that would help them improve so I did that for a year Um, and then one of the coaches I'd worked with at Middlesbrough, which is Colin Cooper, another great friend of mine, another person I, I um, learned a hell of a lot of, um, was at Bradford as assistant manager. And he asked me if I would come in and do um, pre-season with him in, when was that, 2011? And uh, that's so I went in there as a consultant to do the pre-season, um, ended up doing some consultancy work for them, as the season started and then Phil Parkinson came in and he sort of asked us to do more hours and more hours and then um, at the end of that season asked us if I would sort of go in full time so I had five, six years at Bradford with him as head of performance there, head of sports performance and went across to um, Bolton and continued and did three years there as head of sports science so um, both fantastic clubs to work for and um, 
we had a smaller team at Bradford. So talk about going from one extreme to the other. So, you, you know, I've just spoke about the backing that we had at Middlesbrough in terms of resources, in terms of facilities and everything else. And then we went to Bradford and it was quite Spartan. So a lot less stuff, especially in terms of um, testing and monitoring. It was back to basics of RPE and stuff like that and um, but was a great learning experience again you know can can you still get a team fit with the minimum resources um and uh, we had a very successful period there then moving across to Bolton I did some great young staff there who were um really supportive desperate to learn so, so we molded a team there with some excellent individuals Christian Aldred um Jack Fahey uh, some of the people in the medical department who worked with us, and Matt Barris, I worked with at um, Bradford. He came across as head of medical at Bolton. So between us, we uh, we re- sort of reorganised what they're doing because they'd had quite a cull there um, with what the chairman had done in that first season we were there. Ultimately, had a very successful season in getting promoted to the championship, and um, continued from there. Had one another really good season in terms of um, maintaining championship status under all sorts of uh, hardships which was which was again fantastic experience to have and then that led into another not so good season for uh, obvious reasons yeah and we'll dive into that in a bit more detail shortly but one thing I wanted to ask you Nate was what was the transition like when you went from full-time football into private work back into full-time football? Uh, at first, it's difficult in terms of it, you, you get used to. It's a very unique atmosphere and a very unique environment, football, isn't it? So day-to-day, day-to-day with a group of players, the sort of dynamics of thinking on, on a, individuals within a group setting. Um and then transitioning to um, complete individual conditioning. In some ways, it was a lot easier. In some ways, in terms of you don't have any support at all. It's just you and what the player are doing. And then you have the difficulties of um, how are you going to incorporate what you're doing into what he's doing in general with their teams you, do you know what I'm saying so they have team conditioning sessions they may have team um, strength and conditioning work to do stuff that the physios want them to do and it's how you incorporate what you're doing with that without disturbing what they're doing And so there's a, a quite a bit of political manoeuvring to do in terms of contacting their um, their medical and sports science stuff if you like and working from there but um it was it was difficult. It was difficult. It was all it, for me. It was a little bit easier than I think it would have been for other people because, like I said, at Middlesbrough, I'd done this role within the medical department. You know, so so like if we had somebody who'd come back from a long term injury, and we, we, they would have individual conditioning programs within a group setting. So that's how we would do the S and C work at Middlesbrough. So everybody had their own program, but they worked within a group setting. But then some people, like I said, um, they'd still do that work within there, but then they would require extra work after. So I, I was already sort of doing that role, you know, 
this is what the medical team needed them to do. This is what the sports science need to do, need them to do. I was sort of marrying it in the middle and doing extra work with them. So it was similar to that. So I had, did have experience of doing it before I went into it, but um, then to transition back into football, the, the main difficulty I found was what I've already sort of mentioned. So, like I said, working in a big team where you have a lot of support. I've already mentioned Grant and Chris. So those are people you can lean on at any point if you have any problems. Um, I'd gone up to being the head one myself. So Grant was still there. Chris left the club. So I'd had the experience of running a whole department um, and running the conditioning programmes for for the team, um, both on-field, off-field, working with the coaches, and et cetera, et cetera. And then, obviously, going into Bradford, one of those coaches had been Colin Cooper, so that, that was easy enough. We already knew how each other had worked, what he expected of me, how our, my work was going to fit in with what he was doing in terms of the coaching. So that worked. But I didn't have the resources that I'd had at Middlesbrough. So that was the biggest challenge. So you start going in, no no sports science monitoring methods in, in terms of like even heart rate or you know certainly no GPS. They had none of that. So it was, like I said, basically right back to basics. We're going to use RPE. We're going to just monitor time. And then until we can build up and um, the club there as they got to know it first were quite skeptical about what we were going to do um, and then as they started to see the benefits of the work that we were doing with the players um, started to say well, do you think you could help us get this sort of bits of equipment in and then we could monitor this a little bit better and, and they were brilliant to be fair Bradford so um, we built it up but yeah that, that, that was the most difficult part so going back into a group setting where you'd had all the backup that you needed to having no backup so it's like right what can I do so it was basically let's get to what do I need to know in terms of monitoring rather than what I would like to know and we'll work off of that and then if I can develop it as I go along and see what resources they've got and what they'll be able to do then then we'll be able to do that and as um, the gaffer came in um, Phil he helped me on that side because he's massively into sports science support so we managed to um, do a few deals and work a few things out nutrition companies um, we managed to get heart rate monitoring system at first then I managed to get GPS through cleverly looking at like loaning it here and then giving them feedback for the things student incorporation and that type of stuff so we managed to get going but yeah ultimately led to a, a, a really um, successful period but that was all driven by Phil, Steve Parkin, who came in, Colin left the club, Steve Parkin came in, and the work ethic and environment that they created. So that made my job a lot easier. They were both very much supportive of sports science and and, and developing athletic qualities alongside what they were doing from a football point of view. They realised that they needed a really fit team. One first season there was staying in the league, second season was getting promoted, and we, we had that... I call it the mad season but basically we had a, a smaller group of say 20 to 22 players and it was the season that we managed to get to the um, League Cup final with a League 2 team which I don't think will ever be done again uh, it was just amazing we beat like what one, two, three Premier League teams along the way um, ultimately had a very very difficult final but, but um, with a small squad and then managed to go back 
on what had been a, an interrupted promotion campaign because of this cup run. But this cup run brought so much revenue into the club, it was massively important. And we managed to get that going again and, and that led ultimately going back to Wembley and getting promoted. So, so and I don't think we ended up playing, like I said, 22 players, 64 games. And to do that with that size of squad, that was one of the best achievements I've had I think so far in my career um, and, and that was all driven by what the manager and assistant manager allowed us to do with the players in terms of training, in terms of recovery, then the club backing us with everything, so stuff that they'd never done before, so creating budgets for, like I said, supplementation to help them, completely changing the um, dietary um, sort of methods you know in, in terms of what, what we could provide the players day to day such as that if I needed to take them away on recovery days to hotels you know like spa days if you want um, they're, they're backed us with that and uh, and like I said it ultimately led to a really successful season yeah that's because obviously I've watched from the outside and um, everyone's the same but where you see this cup run and you see this season where this club have done so well without really understanding what's going on behind the scenes. So for you to give an insight there is really fascinating. Um, I think it's great that you've touched on the fact that the the coaches were on side with you as well and they were obviously trusting the work that you did because I think that's a major part of it, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's huge. It's, they lead everything. We, uh, I think as sports scientists, um, strength and conditioning coaches, we... we fitness coaches, whatever our titles are, um, we have our ideas of what we need to do to, to develop these general athletic qualities that then become specific. Now, how are we going to use them specifically in the game? How can we help them? Can we make certain player a little bit quicker? Can we, you know, can we help them get a bit stronger? Do they need to do this? How do we, be, how do we increase that robustness? But, you, you know, you've got no chance of doing it if the manager and uh, his, his coaches don't create that work ethos, I believe. And that's what they did. They created, along with the players, because the players have to buy into it. And we had a fantastic group of players. They were, they were just superb. And they, they were like sponges. Everything that we said, if you do this, this will improve you. you know. And that's what they did. And I think sometimes at that level, it's, it, it is a little bit easier. You know, League Two and League One is where they're chasing contracts. They don't, they're very lucky if they're getting three and four year contracts. So they're, they're sort of hungry out there. You know, not all of them, but we had a group that knew that if they bought into what we were trying to do and this work ethos and this environment and culture that the manager and the assistant manager were creating, that then we'd have a decent chance of being successful and that led to them being a bit more secure financially. So, so that's what they did. But once you get that going and, and you get that working environment where everybody loves doing what you're doing, it, it's so easy. You take them in the gym, they're putting the music on, Sessions are on the board or the sessions are, are on the, the sheets that you've handed out for them. They know what they're doing. They just bang on with it. It becomes a little bit competitive in terms of like, the, you know, they're starting to hit numbers in terms of the strength work and they can see it improving. You revisit it and they see it improving again. Um, when we're on pitch, they, they can see that they, they, 
you know, they're playing games and winning games late on and we won a lot of games late on and playing through horrible conditions on bad pitches and they're coming in and saying, yeah, we feel fine, we'll go again Tuesday, you know. So once you once you create that, it's just a snowball effect, I think. But it's all driven, I, I believe, by what, what the manager and the coaches want to do. I hope you're enjoying the episode with Nick so far. There's some great information in this podcast. I just wanted to give you a little update on the Football Fitness Online community. So we now have the presentations from our Celtic Network meeting uploaded. So the presentation from Oliver Morgan and Jack Naylor are now available on the community. Also, Paul Whites from Stoke City, his presentation is now on the community as well. And we also have an interview with Paul Bradley going up. Um, into the interview the written interview section on the on the community as well you can access all this you can claim your free month so you get one free month when you sign up by going to footballfitfed.com and clicking the community tab at the top it is only 4.99 there after that and you will also get discounts to our future network meetings and access to all the presentations of those meetings in 2020 as well so go and check it out. If you're a member already, let us know what you think of it. It'd be great to have as many coaches on there as possible. Enjoy the rest of the episode with Nick. I said before we're going to dive into a specific period in your career, and I think I think we could we could jump into your time at Bolton, and this ties in with obviously a previous podcast with the lads at Berry. Yeah, and I'm going to ask some similar questions that I asked them in terms of what do you look back on now in terms of take, key takeaways, but also advice for fellow coaches going forward from you mean from the difficult period yeah <laughs> um well like i said just a bit of background on it we went across to bolton on mass so the, the the manager um phil parkinson steve park and the assistant manager lee butler the goalkeeping coach matt barris the physio and myself and we'd inherited this group we'd just been uh, relegated so this sort of sets the background and the chairman who'd taken over had made massive cutbacks they'd lost their training ground so they were training at what was the academy training ground which was set up for children so like the gym and everything is set up for littler people and it's as simple as that like the roof was lower and everything they were working out of park cabins the pitches luckily were brilliant so you, you've got that sort of scenario where these players had been used to a really good training facility at Exton and that had been sold on to Wigan. So they come in there and then again, we're now going to try and recreate this sort of work ethos that we had at Bradford with these lads. But these have just basically lost a lot of what they valued in terms of what was their working environment. You understand what I'm saying? So that made it doubly difficult. So they took, again, buy into what we did. And I can't commend that group highly enough either. But we, we sat a week with them and thinking, Ooh. and then we went away on the pre-season trip and they just bonded. And they again said, look, this is how we work. This is what we want you to do. Um, it's all based around uh, work ethic um, but we will give you loads of rest at the right time. So, you know, you don't have to go into details with players about how you periodise in a season, but that's basically what you're saying to them in layman's terms. You know, we'll work hard when we're working hard. You'll get plenty of recovery time when we can give you it. And that's what they did. And that, again, led to building this work and team team spirit that led to a promotion. Um, the following season was really difficult and not sure we really had the squad to cope with it. It was a massive jump up again to the championship 
I think that that physically that that going up is becoming um, it is a little bit of a step up now between League One and Championship. Um, they soon got used to that. Technically, it was difficult for them. They've got better players in terms of that element, technical, tactical elements, um, and they had to step up to that. So physically, the games become more difficult. Um, but they found a way of doing it. And um, up by Crook, we started to do really well. Lost our main centre forward, who was scoring goals, which never helps in January. Um, but still, again, managed to stay in the league. The year after was we'd started really well, made some really good signings, started really well, and then we got to about October. I think it was. I might be wrong in terms of my, my time. The whole year ended up being a bit of a blur, to be honest. But um, we got to that sort of time, and that was the first um, period. So it was that on, around the first uh, international break. So is that back end of September time? It's that time, isn't it? Um, we got um, the first shout of this club could go into administration, um, I think, I won't go into the details of why that was, but obviously that caused a massive problem. Players didn't get paid and neither did the management staff, if you like, that I've mentioned. Um, so we just carried on with that, eventually got paid um, and then it led into every month where you were looking at, am I going to get paid, am I not? And then ultimately led to the point where um, we got where we weren't getting paid. So, again, I don't want to comment on, on anything with that in terms of, like, the uh, ins and outs of why that happened, but obviously it becomes a really, really difficult difficult period. So, it, to, to, so that sort of led into your question, if you like. Um, I think what we had... What we're trying to do... So, you, you're basically asking, how did we keep going in, in that period, Ben? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so what what we look at again is, again, I think it comes from the example of your leadership. So not in terms of up above us or corporate level or anything like that, but how we're dealing with it day to day. Um, it comes down to what the manager and, and the assistant manager did. And um, it's a lot of meetings with the players, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, assessing everybody on an individual level. I think in terms of where they are mentally, you're relying on your stronger characters, your captains, your vice captains. Um, Andrew Taylor, who was the PFA rep, who was did an incredible job through the whole thing as a um, sort of intermediary, a go between between us and the players, because um, ultimately you have to keep going and you have to keep playing. But it, if you're looking at it from the manager's point of view. You don't know what each player has in terms of their own personal lives, you know, in terms of financial commitments and such as that. I know people are always saying, we had it at the time, comments, people saying, well, they should be able to afford it. But I always think that players um, have short careers and I know that what a, lot of, what a lot of them will do is they'll look at big mortgages, you know, really big mortgage payments so that their houses are paid off really quickly because they can afford to do it at that time. But then if you're not getting paid, that's a problem. Some of them have multiple properties in, in, in them sorts of situations. So it soon spikes up. And so then to ask them to just sort of forget that and turn up on Saturdays and play is really difficult. So it's, it's almost coming back to the example that you're... Um, that your manager and your assistant manager set so they were for look lads 
we're going to have to play these games. We're going to have to prepare for these games. If you've got a problem as an individual, then you need to come and speak to us so that we know, you know, because we can't be selecting players who are so scrambled with it that they can't perform on a Saturday. So that was what he did. And we sort of followed that example. And then in terms of what we would do with each day, you have to look at moderating how you, you're training almost. So not in terms of like volume and intensity and such as that. I'm not talking about training less, but once you sort of get the lads to say, if we're going to carry on and we're going to prepare for these games, then we're going to do it properly. Otherwise, if you can't, you're either doing it one way or the other. And that's where we came to. So you've got to go back and look at how they reacted professionally as individuals under extreme circumstances and I, I thought they were brilliant so in terms of what I would do with them a lot of the parts that strength and conditioning coaches fitness coaches do are the bits the footballers don't really like to do you know so if you're looking at additional running in terms of um, what we what we would incorporate in between games and such as that so I know we, we might talk about that in a little bit but those are the bits that they don't really want to do so it was it was again making sure that our training was efficient as, as efficient as possible so there's not any wasted moments you know um so making sure that they did basics well so we stayed on top of um the gym work but rather than them doing so, for instance, we would we would often do our gym conditioning in an afternoon as a full session. So rather than doing that where you're saying to them, look, again, from a motivation point of view, are they going to go away, have the lunch, come back in the afternoon and do a gym session once or twice a week? So we broke it up into micro sessions where they would work straight after training or some straight before training. So for instance, if you were doing... I don't know, they're, uh, the heavy lift of the week. Rather than us doing that, we would generally do that before a day off so they could have a day off and come back. So if it was a strength session, we would do whatever the training they'd done, take them straight in the gym after that lift, cut that down to what would be the basics that we need to maintain that specific physical quality. So they would go in, do the three to four exercises out of the gym, and that made it much more manageable. So you were cutting everything into smaller chunks, if you like. And we still got a decent training effect from that. Um, so you're almost compromising a little bit, but it was those that compromise helped us maintain the working ethic to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I know we spoke before about... Um, the culture of the club at that time as well and that being essential and sort of everyone being in it together so do you want to touch on like keeping players on track in that period and I know you've t said about the efficiency of sessions there but diving a bit more in detail about like where you talked about um, where the lads are having to do extra running how do you keep their heads on track at that time it's just that they were used to working to a certain way. So again, I'd said we'd over the two years previous to that, and we've still got some players from the year before. Some of the new signings we brought in at the start of the season had excellent work ethic anyway. Um, and, and 
You know that you always get a range within a football club. Some really good workers who just love the physical element, love what you're trying to do with them. Some you've got are in the middle who are good. Some you've got to cajole. Those obviously become the difficult ones when you're doing that. You know, um, the ones who uh, it, it's a little bit easier to say. Mm. And what we try to do is say, look, let's not use that as an excuse let's not use that as an excuse we still have to prepare for games if that wasn't there you'd be preparing as you generally were so you're relying on again on their professionalism to do that um, if if it comes to a point where it is a difficulty with the certain that I won't call them awkward because it, well, like I said it's an extreme situation um, that's where this element of compromise has to come in more so you might reduce what they have to do a little bit or split it into two little manageable sections so you think oh, I need them to do this today but if I do half of it today and we might be able to touch a little bit more on that specific quality so if we're looking at for instance the, the runs might be pure speed work you know um you have a certain volume that you do I, I, I tend to do these in terms of tissue tolerance so you know linear speed work um, and it might be just that I reduce slightly reduce the volume that I would do at that time so it become more manageable then from a on a psychological level to be able to do it uh, I've already touched on where we've got this great work I think take them in the, in, in the afternoon music on fantastic working environment in the gym and it's a full on session but when you've had the break and they're all the do whenever there was a break and they come back together as a group was inevitably the problem would rear re-raise its head if you know what I mean so while they're out there training sometimes that can be a bit of a distraction for them it's good you know get the training going make it bright make it lively do do sessions the sessions that they did they always enjoyed the coaches always put fantastic variety in what they were doing so whatever they needed to achieve from a technical and tactical point of view they rotated and found different ways of doing things so that they had variety um, and that kept their interest levels high and again which then didn't lead to them being under motivated when we were out training so it was just a team ethic and what it, and then, like I said, we've broken up the strength and conditioning sessions into smaller, more manageable chunks. So that way, they're done. They've got the lunch time. They can go away then and go back to their own thoughts and such as that. So when when you had like a double session, say for instance, and they come together in a group, that was when it became difficult. So they're sitting in the dressing room, and ultimately then, or wherever they go, the canteen, whatever it is, ultimately it becomes the topic of conversation. You see what I mean? So as soon as you weren't doing it, it happened to me, like with me, your thoughts ultimately dream, drift back to well, how am I going to deal with this problem? You like your own personal situation within that problem. So how not getting paid is affecting you personally. So when you're actually working, that's a distraction for you. So that's what we did with the players. So again, sort of not afternoon sessions um, and uh, such as that. But then this sort of drifted on eventually got the players got help from the PFA and we managed to get some money so that we could carry on some of the players obviously left and then we were looking at going into new ownership and that dragged on into the pre-season and then that became the most difficult difficult time because the players had gone and it, the, the club was ultimately under administration we couldn't sign any players until it had been bought so the ones that we had were the ones that were still under contract, which was a really small group. So from my point of view, how do we then look at 
um, preparing these players to start a season because they ultimately might have to do they might have to do that as they did with all the younger players backing them up and we had a handful of say seven I think senior players three or four of them are wanting to go and um, again we just took the same sort of principles of we're in working we'd like you to come in working and while we're doing this we're going to do it with the utmost professionalism and um, we had to just be really smart about how we did that without um, without compromising what we needed to do to develop them athletically. I think it's really... Yeah, it's I know, I know it's, a, it's a really challenging time, isn't it, in that period, obviously, but I think yeah. it's fascinating to, for you to discuss all the challenges that were um, in place. Like they, they were the things that you were having to face on a daily basis, weren't they? Not just in yeah. terms of practice, but in terms of just dealing with humans in that, in that situation yeah I mean as you know all players have a variety of what we call work standards don't they they have a different different level of work ethic and obviously that comes into play and you know what we found was that the ones who were um, more difficult in terms of what they would do day to day like I've already previously said would, would use it as an, uh, a bit of an excuse at times, but it was up to the other ones who had who, who, who had this fantastic work ethic to try and get them to come along. So the players helped us massively, and that's all you can do. You've got to basically get in even more with them. So what the manager and Steve Parkin did was that, that they tried to say, look, lads, we're all in this together, and that's what we've got to do. We're all in it together. No one's going to help us, but we have to play these games. And we couldn't... Eventually, they had to make a stand, the players, and I fully support that. They had to make a stand, and it got to a point where they did not had any help from anywhere, um, and they had to make a stand. And obviously, it became a big political issue in terms of from a football point of view. So, we won't go into that. But um, they just they just kept going every week. They kept doing what they tried to do. And don't forget as well, you've also got the, the other problem of they were struggling in the league. You know, we weren't winning every week, we were getting beat, so it made it doubly difficult. Um, I have no doubt that the situation added to that, and I don't. I think that without it, uh, it could have been a different season. Um, but um, it comes down to, I think, their standards, but also your own personal standards. Um, not, not in terms of... You've got two ways you can go in these situations, haven't you? It, it almost comes down to, well, what, what do I do? I can, I can either just feel sorry for myself and, and pack in and sort of chuck it and say I'm not coming into work I've not been paid I'm not doing this I'm not doing that but there's other people around you like I said who are setting these examples and you just I almost used it as a, as a challenge to look at it personally to say I'll never have to face such extreme circumstances again so can I, can I go into this and can I come through the other side and maintain what I, I, the professional standards that I think I've, I've been developing over the last however many years you know 10 15 years so um, if I can do this under these circumstances then anywhere else that I might move on in my career I don't think it'll ever be as difficult again so it, it almost taught me a little bit about myself and, and you're looking at that and thinking well that way then if I turn up every day and set a standard and you're not running around like a sergeant major saying lads you have to do this you have to do that it's just going in every day with that mindset of being trying to be positive so that you know look I'm here I'm doing my job. I'm going to be as positive as I can with you. You know, you're not going over the top and jumping up and down and, you know, 
being a rah-rah lad, <laughs> shouting and bawling at the place to do that. But it's just showing that I'm going to keep going. And um, again, it, you, you create personal relationships with players. Some you're closer to, to than others. But um, also, it, it, we, we do have to be psychologists sometimes, don't we? we? You know, we do have sports psychologists who've always worked with us, but we, we're there with them on the call face, if you like, every day. And you do create these interpersonal relationships that are really important in terms of how you get them to adhere to what you want them to do in a normal working environment. So they became doubly important in a, a really stressful working environment. Um, so it, it, it was sometimes having to be a crutch for certain players and, you know, like I said, you never know what their personal background is and how it will affect them day to day. And um, some days you'd come in and you knew a certain player was just really struggling with it that particular day. And it might be saying to that team, well, why do you find an alternative to do today? You know, taking them out of the training environment, putting them with one of the other members of staff and getting something productive done, but it helped them psychologically that day and then they could come back into it on another one. So just managing it day to day was, but like I said, it, it taught me a little bit about me, myself in terms of kind of keep going under the, the harshest sort of environments, harshest sort of circumstances. And I think that's, that's the best way of approaching that time, isn't it? It's setting that yeah. challenge and saying to yourself, like you said, that you won't go through it again, but you can take plenty of lessons from it. I think yeah. that's... That's been a very sort of different podcast to what we've done before, obviously very similar to the Berry one, but there's so many takeaways there for coaches that they can put into their practice regardless of whether clubs are in a similar position or not. So I think I think it's, it's, it comes down to empathy, doesn't it? It's empathy for, you know, in a, in a situation that you've got to have empathy all the time, empathy with how you're going to work with players um, and what you're doing in terms of your... Um, relationships with your own staff, the staff around you, and how you um, work with each other on on a day to day basis. Everybody needs empathy. So you, I, I feel, especially if you're in a sort of a managerial position, so you're ahead of a department, you need to understand. So you've got to look around at the staff and how it's affecting those staff. You know, some of them might be on a lower wage than yourself or whatever else. You know, and it, how does it affect them? I mean, we were lucky in that that the backup staff, he, they got paid most months come to the point where nobody got paid but they weren't uh, for the first I think three months it was the staff the senior staff and players so but um, yeah those interpersonal skills are um, are really important in a normal working environment so they just became doubly important but it did it tested them and 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 showed that uh, you sort of developed your soft skills if you like and and how much I had sort of how much I relied upon them and, and stuff that I'd been taught from these excellent mentors that I'd had before in the past like Grant Downey and Chris Barnes pe- people who'd shown us sort of how they dealt with people on a day-to-day basis you know the coaches that you work with the managers that you'd work with um, just the experience that you'd had using that but it, it, it was it was definitely a testing time well I really sharing that like I said the coaches take away from that um, if anyone re- wants to reach out to you personally on social media or whatever what's the best place to do it um, Twitter I'm just at Nick Allenby on Twitter Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. I won't take up any more of your time. Um, I think there's been loads of 
real good nuggets of information there. So I'm going to listen back and make make more notes from what I've done already. Um, but thanks a lot for your time tonight, Nick. I really appreciate it. And best of luck for the rest of the season. No problem, Ben. It's been a pleasure to come on. Thank you very much. Cheers, Nick. See you later. I hope you enjoyed episode 55 with Nick. It was great to speak to him. There was loads of takeaways from the episode. Some of my biggest takeaways where he spoke about stripping it back to basics. So when he went to Bradford um, and they were focusing more on things like RPE rather than loads of tech. He also uh, used the phrase, what do I need to know regarding monitoring, which I thought was really stood out for me. And then also clubs back in sports science. So he spoke about the run that Bradford had. And I think we'll all remember it, the cup run, and also the success they had in the league. And a big reason behind that he spoke about was the, the club back in sports science and, and be having the buy-in from the technical coaches and all the decision makers at the club. And I think that's key. And it's something we've covered in previous episodes before as well. Um, and that was a big factor, or what he said was a big factor that led to a successful season for the club. So if you want to get in touch with Nick um, and give him some feedback on the podcast, you can go and follow him on Twitter. He's Nick Al- at Nick Allenby. Um, also, let us know what you thought of the podcast. So either drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com, or you can get us on social media at, football, um, at footballfitfed. Keep an eye out for future network meetings. We'll be announcing the tw- some of the 2020 meetings very soon. They'll go out on social media and on the website and to the email list as well. And like I mentioned, mid-episode, it'd be great to have as many of you guys on the community as possible. Um, and you can get access to all the presentations that I spoke about from Celtic and Stoke and then all the future meetings. We'll speak to you again next week.